Acts chapter 17. We're starting fresh into Acts 17 this morning. Lord willing, we'll get down <coughs> to verse 15. Last week as we finished out chapter 16, we saw Paul and Silas had been in prison for preaching the gospel. Uh, it was midnight on the night they were arrested, and we saw them praising and praying to God Almighty, and remember all the prisoners were listening to them. And as they worshiped the Lord, as they cried out to God, we read that the earth shook, that the prison doors broke open, and the bondages that they were in were broken. And then we saw the jailer thinking that the prisoner's escape was about to take his own life, and Paul cried out, don't do that, we're all here. Remember, he uttered those glorious words back, what must I do to be saved? And Paul shared with them, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you and all your household will be saved. Or all in your household are welcome to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so that you could be saved. Uh, glorious scene there in Acts chapter 16. And then we saw the next day uh, the local magistrates and the politicians who had unlawfully arrested Paul and had unlawfully beat him and imprisoned him. They looked further into the incident, and they saw that they'd been duped. So they came, and they said, you're free to go. But Paul held them uh, in account, you know, to uh, hold them accountable for what they had done, because as a Roman citizen, what they had done to him was illegal. Then they began to plead with them, please leave. They saw them then begging for their own lives, and we saw the mercy and grace that Paul extended to them that they didn't give back to him. Well, This morning, we see Paul leaving Philippi and coming to Thessalonica. We're going to talk about a verse in 1 Thessalonians that talks about the transition of that time. And then once they arrive in Thessalonica, we'll see them going to the synagogue and preaching Jesus from the Old Testament to show them that Jesus indeed is the Christ. We'll see that many believe and the others stir up many who don't believe. We'll see another riot breaking forth in Thessalonica. Boy, riots follow these guys, it seems. Listen, the enemy gets upset at the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then we'll see them from there going to Berea, and we're going to see that they're called more fair-minded or more noble-minded because everything Paul taught them, they went back to the Scriptures. Is this true? And as they saw Jesus indeed was the Christ according to the Scriptures, many believed in Berea. So, listen... And all of this, we're going to focus a lot on endurance, because these guys needed endurance to go from place to place to keep pressing on in the midst of a lot of suffering and a lot of spiteful actions that were brought against them. Listen, there's a lot of suffering in the world today. There's a lot of people that are spiteful in the world today. We need to glean from these men and how God worked through them, look at scriptures to give us endurance. And then again, we're going to talk about safeguarding our homes. We're going to see a home was attacked. And we're going to talk about safeguarding our homes spiritually. And then the call, as we touched on already, to preach Jesus from the Scriptures, to test all things from the Scriptures. So a little bit of where we've been, a little where we're going. Listen, let's read verses 1 through 9 together. And then we'll jump into this, take it a verse or two at a time, and hopefully leave here built up in the Lord. It says, Now when they had passed through and Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded. And a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. Now notice verse 5. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of, their evil, some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathered a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. What a compliment. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there's another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, (coughs) 
they let them go. Now, if we go to 1 Thessalonians, we get a little bit of an insight of the transition and a little bit of the commentary uh, from Paul of, you know, what had come upon them. And we'll see, and we just read the things that came upon them, follow them to the next place. And uh, I want to look specifically at, you know, what Paul calls out, uh, you know, the words he chooses to use of what they went through. Because I think there's an application here for us uh, that, that we need to consider. Again, verse 1, when they had passed through Amphipolis, Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. So from Philippi, they went through these other two cities, came to Thessalonica. And later, Paul would re- write those in Thessalonians, or the Thessalonians. And in 1 Thessalonians 2.1, he says, For you yourself know, brethren, that our coming to you is not in vain, but even after we had suffered before and was spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Again, conflict in Philippi, and then conflict that followed them in Thessalonica. Again, we just touched on the fact there in Philippi, a, a demonic followed them for days after days. They were seized. They were dragged into an unlawful trial. They were whipped in the public square in prison, put in the hole, holding stocks. The next day, remember, they were uh, you know, not treated according to the law once again. And then this followed them to Thessalonica, where we are this morning in our text. And Paul sums it up by saying, you know, we suffered... And we were spitefully treated. And throughout the book of Acts, we've talked a lot about suffering, trials, tribulations. We've seen where Paul has said that through much tribulation, you must enter the kingdom of God. I want to focus in, though, a little bit more on what he says on the second half of that verse. He says, we suffered before. Again, that suffering followed them to Thessalonica. But he also says, we were spitefully treated. And as I was studying this this week, that just popped out to me because I think we're living in a day where there is a lot of spite and there's a lot of spiteful people, maybe more so than any other time in the history of the world. Spite, or to be spiteful, it means a malicious ill will prompting an urge to hurt or humiliate another person. Does that sound familiar at all right now in the day that we are living in? Let me just read that again. Malicious ill will prompting an urge to hurt or humiliate another person. And Paul says, when we were in Philippi, and now in Thessalonica, as the conflict followed, we suffered and we were spitefully treated. Again, I think that this is, at least in my life, I can speak to my life, this is an all-time high in the course of my life, in my 51 years here on earth. You see a lot of spiteful attitudes, you see a lot of spiteful actions, And you see a lot of spiteful people. This really shouldn't be taking us by surprise, though. Because believe it or not, that's prophetic. The scripture speaks about people's love waxing cold and really spite abounding in the lives and in the hearts of many, many people in the last days. In fact, Jesus, he was asked what would be the sign of his coming and the end of the age. And he gave a lot of signs and so forth there in Matthew 24. One of those things that he addressed was the hearts of people and the attitude of people. In Matthew 24, 10, he said, Then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will arise and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. That word lawlessness, it could be translated iniquity. And it's a picture of... You know what, there's always been lawlessness, there's always been iniquity. You might want to picture it as, you know, a river going through a city or a town, it's always been there. When it says that lawlessness or iniquity will abound, it's the picture of it now overflowing the banks. It's a picture of it flooding the local city, flooding the community, taking over a nation, taking over a world. And absolutely we see that happening, and with that again... There's a lot of spiteful people in the world today. A lot of spiteful actions. A lot of spiteful attitudes in the world generally. And absolutely, listen, it's magnified upon the church. 
It's magnified as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, even more sadly, oftentimes it's found right in the church. And even within the church right now, you see almost a division going on in much of the body of Christ between those saying, hey, we're going to have church, we're going to press on. And other people saying, listen, no, if you come together, you're going to spread the pandemic and you're killing people. Again, this has a 99.75% uh, you know, a, a survival rate. You're more likely to die in a car crash. COVID-19 is real. The pandem- pan- pandemic is not real. I want to clarify that. Because I heard someone say, Steve doesn't think any of this is real. Listen, the flu is real. A c- coronavirus is not new. Uh, it's real. Uh, pneumonia is real thing. The pandemic, though, it, it, it's not. And... I'm going to talk more about that again later on. I've talked about it a lot, and I'm going to keep ranting on it because we got to stand for truth. And listen, I, I don't say that to try to divide with anybody, but I want to stand on my convictions. I also want to do that without getting a spiteful heart or attitude with others that see it differently. We can't do that. And yet, we see a deeper division in people, again, walking with a spiteful heart towards others, with malicious ill will to want to hurt or humiliate others. And I really think, you know what, when people are spitefully treated in the body of Christ, when someone really goes after them with malicious ill will, I really believe it's one of the leading contributors or causes of people dropping out of Christian fellowship, dropping out of going to church. I would say this, along with folks not enduring sound doctrine, which the scripture says the time will come when people won't do that. Listen, if you're going to endure sound doctrine, you're going to have conflict. You're going to have conflict with the world. Sadly, at times, you'll even have conflict within the church because a lot of people don't want sound doctrine. They want to be lied to. They want to have their ears tickled and so forth. First Timothy 4 speaks to this. I would say not enduring sound doctrine along with a love for the world, a love for sin and pleasure over a love of God. That leads many people out of the church. Like Demas, who it says that in 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul said, he's forsaken me, having loved this present world. So not enduring sound doctrine, a love for the world and sin and self and pleasure, as well as, again, People being spitefully treated in, you know, my 25 years of the pastorate, it seems like those are three of the main, if not the three leading causes of people dropping out of church. Listen, during this time, these last nine months, I've seen a lot of people come back to church. And a lot of the folks have shared with me, listen, where I was before or my, you know, at a prior time when I was in church, I was spitefully treated. I was hurt by somebody. Someone went after me with malicious ill will, and I retreated, and I dropped out of fellowship. Praise God, many of them have confessed, though, that that was the wrong action, that I shouldn't have dropped out of fellowship, that I allowed the enemy to get an upper hand upon me. But here I am back, and I want to abound in the Lord, and I want to move forward in the Lord. Sadly, though, again, spiteful attitudes and actions and individuals Hear this, it's the opposite of what we've been called to walk in as followers of the Lord. Notice Colossians 3.12, it says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. That doesn't sound very spiteful, does it? Kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must do. But above all these, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And listen, spite and hurt abounds in the church from not walking in those things that we just read. We need to strive to walk in forgiveness. We need to put on the love of the Lord. We need to remember all the mercy and grace that God has given to us that we would extend it to others. Now, one thing that I give praise to God for is that in this year of 2020, which is behind us now, and I don't know, what to, we, we might get at the end of 2021 and say, oh, the good old days of 2020. But I can tell you this, again, in the world, I've seen spiteful individuals abound, and spite abound like I've n- 
never seen in my life. But listen, I can speak to this fellowship. In this past year, I've seen from, from my vantage point, from my viewpoint, it's my opinion, I've seen a greater measure of love in this fellowship than I think I've ever seen in, in 25 years of being here. Of people being kind to one another. Of so many people showing up to church with a smile on their face. People getting here, you know what, early to want to worship the Lord. Individuals, you know, helping one another, supporting one another. And we got a call to abound in that. To work to abound in that. We want to grow in that. We absolutely, in this day that is getting darker and darker, we want to walk in that call to love one another. Jesus said in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By, by this, all will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Look, at we got to stand out. We got to be different than the world. We can't be walking around with malicious ill will to try to hurt and humiliate other people, especially those in the body of Christ. We need to build up one another. That includes dealing with, again, error, sin, false teaching, but doing it in a biblical and a godly and a loving way. Now listen, Paul says that we suffered and we were spitefully treated, and you see this pattern with these guys everywhere they go because the enemy was stirring up individuals against them. Yet I marvel because despite all the suffering and being spitefully treated over and over and over again, you see these guys time and time again getting up off the mat and pressing on. And how can we not love you know, and admire their resilience, their endurance, and their vigor, both again in Philippi, and now in Thessalonica, and then to Berea, so forth and so on. Everywhere they go, we see them being bold. We see them pressing on. And hear this, we need this in the day we're living in right now. We need more endurance than we've ever needed before. We need resilience. We need vigor. We need this. And so we should ask the question, where did this come from? Well, listen, it didn't come from themselves. It came from the Lord. Look at, again, there in 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 and 2, he says, For you yourselves know, brother, and our coming to you was not in vain, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we were bold. And then notice what he says next. In our God. We were bold in God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, you need to hear this this morning. You are going to face conflict. You're going to face a conflict between your flesh and your spirit. You're going to face conflict in this world that doesn't know Christ. You're going to face conflict in a spiritual realm where there is an enemy of our soul who wants to see our walks with Christ stunted, who wants to see our witness extinguished, who wants to steal the fruits of the Spirit in our life. And so what's the key? The key is to be bold in God. The key is to look to the Lord. We can't muster endurance, but God can burst it forth in our lives. Listen, I want to give you five things, five practical things to help you to endure in the call of Christ, to help you have a vigor, to help you have resilience day in and day out, despite whatever conflict might come into your life. Despite whatever trial or tribulation or suffering you might have to go through. Despite however or how many ever spiteful people, you know what, try to maliciously hurt you or humble you. Five things here. And these five things are going to sound familiar because we've touched on them before. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on them. But I pray that as I give this list and the scripture references here, that it's not just reeled off as a list. But I'm praying to God, and I've been praying God to God all week, that as I read these five things, that they'll be put forth with a prophetic utterance that will pierce our hearts. That if there's any of these things we're not doing, we would begin to do them. We would begin to abound in them. That these things would hit our hearts fresh and would make an impact on our lives. So five things. And these are five things these men were doing. Number one, listen, we have to abide in Jesus daily. And abiding Jesus, it means being in His presence. 
That's found through prayer. That's found through praise. And that's found through the scriptures. Listen, these guys did not take days off. You're like, how did they go from Philippi to Thessalonica to Berea and all this suffering and being treated so spitefully? And how did they do it with vigor? How did they come each time to that synagogue with the power of the Holy Ghost? Listen, they were abiding in Jesus every single day. They didn't take vacations from the Lord. They didn't live off yesterday's manna. Remember there in the Old Testament when they would live off yesterday's manna? Listen, the next day it would be full of worms. We don't need wormy manna. We want to have fresh manna. And that bounce from a, comes from abiding in the Lord. Don't take days off from your prayer closet. Don't take days off from worshiping God. Don't take days off from the scripture. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do, are you ready for this? Nothing. That's pretty clear, right? Number two, we need to be asking for the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Our fleshly hands cannot produce the things of God Almighty. Before God sent His early church out, what did He tell them to do? To go wait in Jerusalem for power from upon high. And once there was an outpouring and a baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's when they went forth preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be a people who are baptized and immersed with the Holy Spirit of God day in and day out. We got to be looking to Him. I love what Jesus said in Luke eleven thirteen. If you then being evil, Jesus didn't, you know, He didn't mix any words. Are you being wicked? Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Are you asking Him daily for a fresh filling of the Spirit of God? When you go to minister to the kids in Sunday school, are you saying, Lord, Fill me up with your Holy Spirit that there would be an overflow for me that would absolutely impact them. When you go to share the gospel, when you go to work, you come home from work, whatever it is, we need to be asking for power from upon high. Number three, number one, let's abide in Jesus daily. Number two, let's be asking for that empowering of the Holy Spirit. Number three, hear this this morning. We need to learn to die daily to ourselves. We got to take up on a, a mentality that is, I am not here for me. I'm not here for me. I am here for Him. I'm here to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I die daily. Now, you need to know in doing that, you're not going to lose your life. You know what you're going to do? You're going to gain life. And you're going to walk in abundant life. Freedom is found when we die daily and recognize, I am here to serve the Lord. And there's no greater call. There's no higher privilege. Plus, Jesus said, if we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, you know what He says? All these other things will be added unto you. I'll take care of those other things. As you seek me first. Number four. Listen, we have to be a people that forgive. We got to forgive as we have been forgiven. A lot of spiteful people in the world. They're people that have hearts full of bitterness. They have hearts full of unforgiveness. Hear this this morning. You might be saying, I'm asking for the empowerment of the Spirit every day, but it's not there. Why is it not there? It could be because you're walking in bitterness. Because you're not forgiving others. Bitterness grieves the Holy Spirit. Bitterness quenches the work of the Spirit of God in our life. Again, forgiving is the opposite of being spiteful. We're told in Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness. Notice here, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this, many become what? Defiled. And number five, it kind of goes along with number four. We have to be determined to walk in real biblical love. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 43. 
He says, you have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And then notice what he says. And again, think of this in the context of Paul being spitefully treated. He says, but you shall, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who are you ready for it? Spitefully use you and persecute you. We can't return evil for evil. Listen, we got to stand in truth unashamedly. We got to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some people are going to say that's hateful. Some people, listen, when truth comes forth, much of this world says, defines truth as hate speech nowadays. We got to recognize that. But we also got to be determined to not return evil for evil. To pray for those who spitefully use you. To love those who mistreat you, to bless them, to do good towards them. That's something I can't do on my own. Because you know what I want to do when people spitefully treat me? I want to tap into my inner gangster and go thump them. No, that's got to be put down. We got to walk in faith. We need to let the Lord go before us. It's not to say that we're to roll over and be cowards. No, we got to stand for truth, but we got to do it in a loving manner, in a loving way. We got to abide in Christ. We need the empowerment of the Spirit of God. We got to daily die to self, and we got to be a forgiving people to walk in biblical love. Oh, God, help us. Can we say amen to that? Now, again, they pass through Amphipolis, Apollonia. They come to Thessalonica, and where do they go? They go to the synagogue. Remember, there wasn't a synagogue in Philippi, so they went down by the river where the Jews would gather together to worship the Lord, the Gentiles who were proselytes. They come into Thessalonica, though, and there's a synagogue, and they go there first. Why? We talked about it throughout Acts. The gospel is first for the Jew, then the Gentile. It doesn't mean God loves the Jew more than the Gentile, but God used the Jews and used Israel to bring forth the Messiah. And we need to be thankful for that. We need to be thankful for Israel and the Jews. We need to be thankful. Listen, this word that we're looking at this morning, Lord, it, it, it's, it's been given to us and was written and preserved much in part because of Israel and the Jews. And let's remember as well the days coming when all Israel will be saved. So we went to the synagogue first to minister to the Jews. Again, let's also remember that the word of God says that God will bless those who bless Israel and will curse those who curse Israel. I think one small thing we've had going for us as a nation, especially the last four years, is there's been a lot of blessings towards Israel. And we need to be thankful for that. Listen, no matter what you think of Donald Trump, you as a born-again Christian, are you a born-again Christian? Can you say amen to that? You need to be thankful because he's had a right attitude and taken right actions towards Israel. Does that mean all their actions are perfect? No. There's a lot of things that aren't. But biblically, God says he'll bless those who bless Israel. Just side note, so you know this as a church. Listen, part of your tithes and offerings goes to support many outreaches and many ministries to Israel and to Jews. We support a brother named John Plant, who we have come here and speak usually once a year. But now he's in lockdown in Canada. They won't let him leave his house. He's part of Friends of Israel in that ministry. We support a ministry in Jerusalem called the Jerusalem Fund that goes help evangelize Jews right in Jerusalem. We support a ministry called CJF, also known as Messianic Perspectives, that goes into areas, urban areas, where there's concentrations more of Jews to minister the gospel to them. And then this past year, we took on the Garden Tomb uh, ministry in Jerusalem. Uh, And if you've ever been to Israel, you know what I'm talking about. Listen, of all the sites they take you, it's the one place you're going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ preach and proclaim. And so, you know, it's just on my heart to share that with you guys this morning so you know practically some of the things we're doing. Some of you guys know that, but some of you need to know that. So we're at verse 2 finally. (laughs) We might not get to verse 10. We'll see. It says, then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, but for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Again, Paul didn't go preaching himself. He didn't have a New Testament. The New Testament was being written. It hadn't been written yet. He went in there with the Old Testament. And he opened the Old Testament to explain and demonstrate from the Scriptures 
that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. He preached the biblical Jesus. And yes, there's other false Jesuses. We need to make sure that the Jesus we worship is the Jesus of the Bible. So he opened up the word. And no doubt he took him to places like Genesis 3.15. After man's sin, God was speaking to the serpent. He said, I'll put enmity, enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you, you shall bruise his heel. Speaking of the Messiah who would come. Yes, he would have a bruised heel, but he would crush the serpent's head. I would have to think that perhaps he took him to Genesis 3.21, where the Lord had told Adam to take those fig leaves off, trying to cover his sin and iniquity, and God made a sacrifice and covered him with those skins. It's a picture of Jesus Christ, who would come and live a sinless life, who would crush the serpent's head on the cross, and has made the way for us to be clothed with the righteousness of Jesus by grace through faith in him. He had to have taken him to Isaiah 53, that talks about the suffering servant, that talks about the Messiah, that talks about what Jesus would do 700 years before he did what he did. All the chapter talks about the suffering servant, but Isaiah 53, 4 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. And then notice, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. We like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And notice the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Paul preached this to them from the Old Testament. We're sinners. The law shows us we're sinners. No doubt they acknowledge that. We need a Savior. God's holy. Our sin cannot, you know, go into heaven. But Jesus lived a sinless life. He's the woman of the seed who crushed the serpent's head. Our iniquity was placed upon him. No doubt he had to take him to Psalm 22. It speaks prophetically hundreds of years before it happened of crucifixion, before it was even thought of by the Romans. It gives a perfect description of Jesus on the cross. Dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And my, for my clothing they cast lots. Written hundreds of years before that actually happened. And then no doubt he had to have taken them to Psalm 1610 that speaks of his resurrection. They will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will they allow your Holy One to see corruption. And we see time and time in Acts they would explain. That's not talking about David who wrote that. They'd say David's grave is with us to this day. This speaks of his descendant, Jesus Christ, who was buried but rose again three days later, as you know. I'd have to think that he took them to Jonah. And Jonah, listen, he's a type of Adam at the first part of Jonah. In the first part of the chapter, in the second part, he's a type of Christ. His sin gets them all in trouble on the boat. But then as they take one man and they throw him over the boat, calm comes to the boat to picture jesus there and jesus himself said as jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights so the son of man will be in the belly of the earth three days and three nights so he preached the gospel to them from the old testament scriptures verse four says some of them were persuaded so some jews were persuaded they believed and a great multitude of the devout greeks some gentiles you know what, that were devout, that had a fear of God, believed. And not a few of the leading women. So not a few, but many of not just the ordinary women, the leading women. <laughs> they join Paul and Silas. And again, what a beautiful picture that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then notice verse 5, but the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar, attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. Some weren't persuaded. And I asked the question, listen, how could they not be persuaded? They were in a supposed house of God, supposedly there to seek God from the word of God. And Paul shows them clearly how Jesus Christ is the Messiah according to the word of God. Yet they weren't persuaded. 
Why weren't they persuaded? Well, we're told in 2 Corinthians 4.3 or 4.4 about those who don't believe, their minds, the God of this age, has blinded. They were blinded. They had a veil over their eyes. There's a lot of people running around. They're not saved because they're spiritually blinded. There's a veil over their eyes. We need to pray that that blinder would be taken off. Remember in Philippi, Lydia was there again with the Jews worshiping God at the river. But she didn't know the Lord. And it says the Lord opened her heart to receive the things spoken of by Paul. Who are you praying for? Are you praying for folks specifically that God would open up their hearts to the things of God? Listen, unbelievers that are in your life, they're not just there to treat you spitefully. They're not just there for that. They're there for you to pray for them. For you to ask God to take the blinders off their eyes to intercede for them. And these that weren't persuaded, no doubt they had a blindness on their eyes. No doubt as well, they were a people who loved darkness. In John 3, 19, Jesus said, this is condemnation. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. And you can say, how do they love darkness as religious men? Listen, religion can have a lot of perks if you use it to lord over others. A lot of fleshly perks. It won't do you good in the long run. It will come and cave it on your head at some point. But these men like that. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and many of the leaders in the synagogues. He says, you go out to make sons of hell that are twice as evil as you. You're like the blind leading the blind. They like to have their own disciples. And when they said, no, you got to be a disciple of Jesus, they weren't persuaded. It says they became envious. Why? Because they put self over God. And again, it's interesting. They drew evil men, notice from where? The marketplace. And we're seeing a pattern here. We saw this in Philippi. We're seeing this here in Thessalonica. We'll see it in Ephesus, where the marketplace, and listen, the marketplace in itself is fine. Money in itself is fine. But we're seeing a pattern that in the marketplace, there are many evil people who love mammon and money over God. And listen, they're quick to jump up and riot against the things of God to try to protect their little God, their money. They got to protect and keep and carry along their little God. Aren't you glad that our God protects and keeps us and carries us along? And listen, there's nothing new. There's nothing new underneath the sun. Listen, you need to know this past year, the average billionaire got 27% more wealthy this last year. There's a lot of evil in the marketplace. I hope you guys understand what's going on. I hope you understand that a big part of this shutdown and lockdown is to try to collapse our economy to try to bring in a digital currency. Do you know that? Do you know why that's, our, that's why there's a chain shortage? You know that's why there's so many businesses now saying, I only want to take digital? Do you know there's a lot of powers that be that are pushing for this? And listen, you might say, well, practically that sounds like maybe it could work. Well, ah, listen, if Jesus was in control, I'd say a digital concerns, c- currency would work great. But listen, this world's under the sway of the wicked one. And you need to know a push, a lot of this is coming from China where they have a social credit score where if you're not doing what they want you to be doing, they shut down your money. You can't go anywhere. They control you. Those people are enslaved over there to their government. And there's a push to try to bring this upon the world. And listen, I'll take a step farther. It will finally get fully put into play at the midway point of the tribulation. Because the Bible says there will be a beast that comes, and to be able to buy, sell, or even trade, you'll have to have that mark. And I really personally believe that that's moving in to a digital currency, a digital age, singularity, transhumanism, where they're merging machine with men. They're saying you're going to get linked up to the cloud. They're going to know your thoughts. They're even going to try to control your brain. Listen, there's a wickedness in the world that wants to enslave mankind. But Jesus Christ has come to set the captives free. And listen, I don't say any of this. That's worthy of an applause for sure about Jesus, 
I don't say this to strike fear in your heart. Don't let it strike fear in your heart. Because our God is in control. Our God is on the throne. Our God is ruling and reigning upon high. He's going to go before his people. He's going to make a way. We'll come back to that here in a second. I don't think we'll get to verse 10. But listen, next the attack, or so, so they get evil men from the marketplace to do what? Let's go gather a mob. Again, we're seeing a pattern here, right? Let's gather a mob to help bring forth our wicked intent. Sound a little bit like last year as well? Let's gather a mob. Nothing new underneath the sun. It's easy to follow mob mentality. But be careful. The Bible says, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many go through it. You need, to, you need to know this morning and understand as well. Listen, where most of those riots took place in these cities, it was in places that were predominantly owned by blacks and Hispanics, where their own businesses were thrashed and destroyed. Thrashed and destroyed. You also need to know that most of those areas are areas that if the wealthy come in and buy up those areas, they don't have to pay taxes because programs that are in place. You know, it's happening right now. Those billionaires that have gotten 27% richer, they're going in and buying those places. Those individuals do not love minorities. They don't. We need to wake up to the reality of what's going on. They don't love homosexuals, and they definitely don't love Christians. They use these things for their evil and their wicked agenda. I'm ranting a little bit this morning. I make no apologies for it. We can't follow the mob mentality. we got to be willing to be a Daniel, a Shadrach, a Meshach, an Abednego, a Paul and Silas who stands for truth. And even if we stand alone, we'll stand with the Lord. And better to stand alone with the Lord than to go along with the world and the mob that's going through a wide gate that leads to destruction. Then listen, they go and they attack the house of Jason. They think he's harboring Paul and Barnabas. Satan loves, hear this this morning, Satan loves to attack Christian homes. We need to be on guard. We need to be alert. His main attacks, though, aren't physical. This was a physical attack on Jason's home. He loves to do that if he can. But more so, his main attacks are spiritual. I know there's many in the body of Christ. They take pride in their security systems. They take pride in their gun collections. You know, I say praise God for the Second Amendment. There's a place for that. But listen, there's many people that take pride in those things that say, I'll guard my home from the physical attack. Hear this this morning, who daily allow demons to walk right through the front door and run roughshod over their family. I try to explain this to men when I counsel them. When they're running amok and not walking with the Lord. And I say, listen, if you knew someone was going to come into your house and try to terrorize your family, what would you do tonight? They're like, man, I'd be there waiting. Look, where are they at? You know, start doing this. Well, do you know the enemy of your soul every day is trying to get into your home? And as you're practicing this nonsense, you're opening the door for a spiritual attack day in and day out. Listen, he loves to attack Christian homes. And he runs, walks right through the front door when there's things like this, when the world's programs rule over God's word. It's an open door for the enemy to attack. When the love of pleasure you know, rules over the love of God. When pornography rules over prayer. Do you hear that, men? Do you hear that, women? We live in a porn-driven society, and if you're walking in those things, you're opening the door for your family to be maliciously attacked by the wicked one. Where worship of self trumps the worship of God. Where aimless conduct far outweighs the pursuit of God. And where anger triumphs over love, it opens the door for the enemy to attack, to come in and get strongholds and bondages. We got to wake up. We got to ask for God's grace and help you. We got to keep short accounts with the Lord. If we fall down on these things, you got to get back up. You don't go on a bender. You get moving forward in the Lord Jesus. We got to fight the good fight. He loves to attack Christian homes. Now, notice verse 6 but when they did not find them, 
they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city crying out. And I love this here. These who turned the world upside down have come here too. They think they're throwing a burn on Paul and Silas. You know what, on Timothy and Luke. And now Jason's lumped into it. But this is the greatest compliment in the world. What a praise. These guys are turning the world upside down. What a move of God. We need such a move today, do we not? The thing they were wrong about is they actually weren't turning the world upside down. You know what they were doing? They were turning it the right side up. Adam turned it upside down when he said, Jesus has come to turn it right side up. And hear this this morning. They were doing all this. Are you ready for this? Without any social media. They were doing it, do I dare say it, without the internet. And you need to hear this this morning. We might, as the body of Christ, get back to that point real soon because there's a lot of efforts to try to censor the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ on the internet, on social media. And it would not surprise me a bit that over the next three, four years of the Lord tarries, that we are prohibited from broadcasting our messages and so forth on those platforms. And if that's the case, you know what? You know what our God will do? He'll just open up new doors. He always makes a way for the gospel of Jesus Christ to go forward. In fact, that should be a minor part of it anyway. This was also happening in the midst, again, of great opposition and great persecution. We need to remember that again in this day. We need to remember that in light of the things I've already shared this morning concerning what they call the great reset or build back better. Those are key words to a digital currency, to a social credit rating, and so forth. We need to understand that again, Christianity works no matter what form of government is in place. Do you hear that this morning? Christianity works no matter what government is in place. It works in opposition. It works in persecution. It works in times of tribulation. And you need to know that because part of what's going on is the enemy of our soul trying to strike fear in our hearts. God's wanting to turn the world right side up. And are we walking by faith and trusting in Him? Or are we getting struck with fear saying, no, let's go hide in a corner somewhere. And He does it nonstop. Listen, i got to fight and battle it every day. This past week, I'm looking at stuff and so forth, and I come across this article, and it says, Biden's agenda to crush churches who don't go along with the LGBT. And I'll tell you, in the flesh, the first thing that does, it strikes a fear in your heart. Strikes a fear in your heart. But it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not going to give in to that lie. God loves LGBT and he wants them to hear the gospel so they can get delivered and saved and washed from that lifestyle. And my God's greater than a Joe Biden. And again, you see all this different stuff. And even what I've touched on this morning, an effort for what they call a great reset, a digital commerce, singularity, all this stuff. I think eventually, again, with the mark of the beast, you look at Romans thir- or Revelation 13 in the light of the things we know today, how they'll know if you worship the image of the beast. How will they know that? Well, if you're linked up to the cloud, they're going to know what you're doing. But you need to know this morning, those things might happen in the immediate future. And hear this, they might not. It might be down the road a bit. And you need to know that because sometimes we fall into this trap of thinking, you know what, whatever these elites or high-ranking people do want to do, they're going to do. And it doesn't work that way. They can only do what God allows them to do. And if it's the time to move into this and wrap this dispensation up, then glory be to God. But it might be that God turns the tables and pours out a licking on some of these folks. 
Because I know God does not take kindly to the actions that are going on. He doesn't. To the agenda that's at play, and eventually, again, we're all going to account to our God. But let's remember Daniel 2.21, speaking of God, He changes times in the season. He removes kings and raises up kings. God is in control. And we also need to know this morning that, listen, if we do move into this full digital realm, if we move forward with these things, if these things are imposed on us more and more and more, and it's like we are seeing the sorrows that the Lord talks about there in Matthew 24, heated up like we've never seen before. Well, listen, do not forget the words of Jesus to his disciples at Caesarea Philippi. When the Lord says, who do men say that I am? And they said a bunch of stuff. And then finally, Simon Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You know what Jesus said to him in turn? In verse 18 of Matthew 16. And I also say to you that you are Peter, which you know what that means in the Greek, Petros. It means you're a pebble. You're a pebble. And on this rock, which means Petra, and the rock is Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, on this rock, I will build my church, and hear this this morning, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. That promise is yes and amen. God's going to go before his people. Verse 7. They say Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there's another king, Jesus. Yes, listen. Jason had harbored some born-again outlaws. They weren't there when they went in to find them. Oh, sneaky Jason, who knows where he hit these guys next. But hear this, he was doing this to honor God over men. They were technically breaking a law that contradicted the law of God. They taught Jesus as Lord, Jesus as King to be saved. You must confess Jesus as Lord, and in doing so, they did defile or defy the law of man, where you had to say Caesar is Lord. In fact, sadly, there would be many Christians who had escaped death or persecution by renouncing Christ and saying Caesar is Lord. It kind of gives new meaning to 1 Corinthians 12, 3 that says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Because I'll tell you, when it's crunch time and they say, we're going to kill you, Jesus, if you say Jesus is Lord, you're going to find out if you have the Holy Ghost or not. You're going to find it out real quick. Listen, make sure that your compliance to certain anti-biblical government laws and compliances aren't a denial of the commands of God and worse yet, Jesus as your Lord. Times like this reveal a lot about who we are. They reveal a lot about the local church. Let's be careful in our judgments, but let's make sure we judge ourselves. Can we say amen to that? Verse 8, then they troubled the crowd, the rulers of the city, when they heard these things. So they troubled them, or you could say they stumbled them. Listen, they weren't saying to be rebellious against Caesar. They were saying Jesus is Lord. So really this was being twisted, and the people were being used. And yes, there was truth to it, but really more so it was a false accusation. And then notice verse 9, and we'll close here. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. And again, it goes back to the dollar. It goes back to the marketplace. It goes back to their love of mammon. They said, well, listen, we got you arrested and your other guys, but if you pay up, we'll let you go. So much for their convictions, huh? And Jason and them paid up and they let them go. Interesting, later on, when Paul is arrested on another occasion for a long while he's held in a prison and it says that his captors were hoping that Paul would pay them so that he could get freed from jail and Paul doesn't do that and it makes you ask the question what was the right thing to do was Jason right to give them the money to be freed or was Paul right to say I'm going to give you a dime you know what I say 
I think they were both right. I think it's one of those things we got to be led of the Lord in. Listen, God wanted Paul to go to Rome when he was arrested, and he would use the means of the prison system to take him to Rome before many kings. And no doubt God wanted Jason on the streets of Thessalonica, and God made a way for both of them. Listen, let's stand up and close in prayer. And I got my message for next week partially done. (laughs) Oh, Lord God, we bless your name today. We praise you. We thank you for who you are, God. We thank you that, again, you are our Lord. Oh, Lord God, let us be found a people, God, abounding in you. Strengthen your saints right now, God. Shine your face upon your people, your sons and daughters, God. Lord, strengthen us, God, in our struggles and the temptations that come our way, God. Oh, Lord God, I I read a list of things today of how the enemy gets in our home, Lord. Perhaps something or some things on that resonated in more than one, one person's heart here today. And they said, oh, oh, Lord, strengthen that brother, strengthen that sister right now. We want to pray for deliverance from those bondages, God. We want to pray they'd be broken this morning in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, that your word says if we confess our sin, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Strengthen your church, God. Shine your face upon your people. Lord, crucify fear and God abound us in faith in you. Listen, if you're here today and you haven't called upon Christ, today's the day of salvation. We talked about Christ coming to atone for our sins. We're all sinners. Our sin separates us from God. And Jesus is the only way to be made right with God the Father. Jesus took the wrath due you. Jesus laid down his life. Jesus rose from the grave and defeated death. And through humbling your heart, asking Jesus to be your Lord, truly putting faith in him, that's the only means of salvation. And if you haven't called on Him, today's the day of salvation. Oh, call upon the Lord today. Get saved today. Get born again today. We're not promised tomorrow. We bless you, Lord. We praise you. Lord, shine your face, especially at any in that place right now, calling on the name of the Lord. Let us finish right now, Lord. Let us finish well, lifting our voices to you. Let's worship the Lord as we close here.
shelter like no other, your name. Let the nation sing louder, cause nothing has the power to save. But your name is a strong and mighty tower, your name is a shelter like no other, your Sing louder, cause nothing has the power to say but your name. Amen. Well, listen, I, I hope you leave here this morning encouraged. Um, you know what? I, I think we've been exhorted as well. But listen, stand in the comfort of the Lord and who your Lord is. And I just pray He shines His face on you. we got like half an hour before the next service. So I encourage you to, you know, it's been some time in fellowship, encouraging one another. And pray you guys have a blessed day in the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you.